Good to be with you on this New Year's Eve. You all braved the elements of snow and sleet and ice and yeah, it's terrible. We wish, no. I'm missing my regular oh those work. Okay. I didn't have to borrow my wife, so that was that was good. Used to be, I even use 15 font. I mean, this is, you guys could read this, right, can't you? I mean, it's amazing I can't, so anyway. I know, it's amazing. Around our house, uh, many nights during the week when our family is together eating, one of the things that we do is share a highlight from the last 24 hours. A highlight being something cool or something special that happened, maybe a way that you felt loved. Um, sometimes we also take the time to hear what we call a low light or a, a sadness uh, that we've experienced. And I thought that it could be fun as we start out this service as a way to kind of reflect uh, on the past and to connect with one another, to take a minute, uh, a moment, and reflect on this past year, not the past 24 hours, and then share with somebody near you a highlight uh, from this past year, past 12 months. We, we're on New Year's Eve here, so we can get to reflect all the way back to January 1st. And uh, and then as well, a low light, if you would. So take a moment uh, to reflect, and then if you would, turn to somebody near you and share that. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the word low light is not a real word. It spell check doesn't like low light. Likes highlight, but doesn't like low light. But so I've added it to my dictionary in my in my thing. For how many of you was the low light connected to the highlight? Raise your hand. Okay, we've got half dozen or so, maybe maybe a little more than that. You know, I've been, besides my family, I have been using these same two share questions in my men's growth groups for years. And through the years, very consistently, usually with my guys, of course, we're meeting every week, and so it's a highlight from the last week or low light from the last week. Very consistently, there is this common thread of the difficulties in our lives um, also being connected to those highlights. You know, I had this challenge that happened, but then as a result of that, this happened. Or this was a bummer, but then we worked it through and there was this happening. So it's kind of cool. And I think perhaps the reason is, as much as we don't like it, that the way we in our world are designed, if we respond appropriately, difficulties produce positive results in our lives. One of the presents my daughter... Priscilla got this Christmas was a music CD by the Trans-Siberian Orchestra called Beethoven's Last Night. And uh, not sure I can necessarily recommend the, the, the CD, but it's a fictional story, a little bit like the Scrooge Christmas story. There's spirits, or I don't know what they're called, that show up and come to Beethoven on his last night, and there's this reflection over his life and his sadnesses and all this. And one of the spirits was able to change anything from Beethoven's life. 
And so Beethoven requested that the spirit change his childhood, which had been a very, very harsh and difficult one. And the spirit replied basically something like, well, I can do that, but do you realize the consequences? And Beethoven replies, uh, responds, well, what, what do you mean? What consequences? And the spirit then replies, well, it was out of those difficulties that the inspiration came for your fifth symphony. And I can change the difficulties, but your fifth symphony will no longer exist. Again, fictitious story, but the kinds of things I think that we all experience. And as we each head into a new year, many of us, I suspect, are going to have hopes of a better year, a a better one than we had this past year. Many of us are going to be making New Year's resolutions with the hope and intention that maybe we can make adjustments in our behavior, that maybe there'll be a desired outcome being a better year, a better life, and, and that's all good stuff. Well, I have good news and bad news. The good news is is that the better year and a better life is coming. The bad news is is that the better year and the better life is going to come as a result of difficulties and problems that we're going to face as we get better through them. So this afternoon I want to talk about dealing with problems and difficulties with the hope that we will have a better year and a better life because we are persevering and experiencing what the Apostle James speaks of in James 1.4 as the result of positively responding to challenges which is becoming mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. But before we head there, let's pray. Fathers, we uh, stand on the brink of a new year. Even a new half uh, yeah, or the edge of a stage. Um, we welcome you to be with us. We welcome you to walk us through this journey. That we would not be alone. That we would know your presence, the presence of friends and loved ones to be with us. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in our lives. Let your kingdom come tonight. Let your ways be accomplished here. And as we reflect and consider, as we look at your word, I just welcome you. Help us to grow through these challenges that we all have faced and will face. Let us, as Paul did, put these things behind us and press on to what is ahead. Holy Spirit, I pray especially for any guests that are here, that you would especially uh, help them to uh, meet and find you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you, but real honestly, I, I really don't like the inconvenience of problems. You know, problems on occasion are a waste of time. There's all that fussing and fuming, running around trying to fix something. Problems sometimes stop progress, like when you lose your car keys. I have to go, but you're missing your car keys. Problems can be a drain. They suck the life out of you. And then, of course, problems can be at times overwhelming. Psalms 40:12 says, For troubles surround me, too many to count. They pile up so high I can't see my way out. They are more numerous than the hairs on my head. I have lost all my courage. There's somebody with a couple of problems. He is overwhelmed. And sometimes it's that way. I'm confident that for each of us, we have uh, bumped into places here and there uh, that are like that. And we can go, yeah, David, I understand what you're talking about. A few years ago, I watched one of my daughters respond really well to 
uh, a problem that she faced. For some time, she had been scrimping and saving her money to be able to purchase a fairly expensive high-tech device that she really enjoyed and used a lot. And then after a few months, it disappeared. No one could exactly remember the last time it had been used or someone else had used it. Uh, initially, there were you know a few attitudes, a few emotions, but soon everyone was working together to try and find it, but to no avail. And over the next day and a half, I noticed my daughter really having a, a very calm attitude. The loss was very significant to her. She, uh, however, participated with the family. She kept on doing what she needed to do, and she didn't really complain or moan about the loss like I might have. <clears throat> In all, I, I think she had a great attitude about it. She responded well, and then it was found. And that's, of course, always cool when that happens. That isn't always the case, what happens, but it was in that case. And what struck me as I watched that was that as a mature Christian adult, I have frequently had much worse attitudes about smaller losses than that, like who ate my Butterfinger candy bar that was in the refrigerator because I was getting it cold to be able to eat it, or my apples that I put in the refrigerator to eat with the caramel. You know, I like them cold. You know, my needle-nose pliers are missing from my workbench again. Anybody know who took them? And probably it was me having left them someplace at 49. The memory isn't quite as sharp. Anyway, I was very proud of my daughter and realized that, you know, we all handle difficulties in different ways. And I think that is the point of them, not so much the difficulty. Problems are an inevitability of life. We all have them. But how are we going to deal with them and how are we going to deal well with them? How are we going to respond so that the outcome that James spoke about will happen to us. And one of the first things that we must do in overcoming our problems is to put them into perspective, is to have appropriate perspective. So I'm going to highlight for us seven perspectives, uh, seven things to consider when we're facing problems. And if you don't have any problems and this material just isn't relevant at all to you, then please, uh, there's a sheet of paper in there. You can fill it out and take it home, take it to somebody else who's having problems because maybe they'll find some help with this. So first uh, perspective that we have already mentioned is that everybody has problems. You know, if you're lazy and you don't work much, you're going to have problems. If you work really hard and are successful, you're probably going to have bigger problems. If you work for someone else, you're going to have problems. If you work for yourself, you're probably going to have bigger problems. If you stay single, you're going to have problems. If you get married, well... And even if you're Jesus, you're going to have problems. Nobody is exempt from problems. There was a very sickly man went to see a new doctor one day. And he said, I have a stomach ache, a sore thumb, a bruised knee, a backache, chills, itchy scalp, ringing in my ears, fuzzy vision, night sweats, joint pains, and the blues. The doctor nonchalantly responded without looking up from his clipboard. Yeah, there's a lot of that going around. Psalms 34.19 speaks to us when it says, The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too, but the Lord helps him in each and every one. Good people and not so good people face problems alike. We all face problems. And that's a part of the perspective. It doesn't necessarily alleviate all the pain, but it's helpful to know that we're not alone in those kind of situations. Sometimes it feels like that, isn't it? I think that, man, everybody else is doing great. What's wrong with my life? You know, But it's not true. They're all, they're all suffering too. They're just covering it up, wearing a nice, pretty smile. A second perspective that we need to have to overcome our problems is to realize that every problem has a limited, t- lo- excuse me, limited lifespan. Everybody say that fast with me three times. Limited lifespan. Limited, limited, limited. 
limited lifespan. When I was in uh, seventh grade, I've told this story before, I had the privilege to go on a a seven-day backpacking trip with uh, what was called Christian Service Brigade I belonged to, kind of a Christian Boy Scouts. And sometime during the trip, I found out that I was the youngest person they'd ever taken on this trip. In fact, my age, I shouldn't have been allowed to go, but I was taller uh, than uh, most of the boys, and so they thought I was older. Anyway, I also found out that the very heavy but not so very warm sleeping bag uh, that I was carrying didn't keep me warm. And along with other inappropriate gear I took, made my pack the second heaviest pack on the trip. The heaviest being carried by the adult leader. I was 12. Anyway, as we hiked day after day, dozens of miles each day, and I was told afterwards that because of the challenging winter, there were a lot of trees down, and that we had covered literally twice the number of miles because we had to go around stuff to get around. So this was a great first experience for me. Every day I thought I was going to die. Each day I thought I, I just couldn't go on. We'd never stop walking. It was never going to end. And then finally, of course, it did end. Every mountain has a peak. Every valley has its low point. Life has its ups and downs. No one is up all the time, nor is everyone down all the time. Problems are not indefinite. At some point they end, they go away, or they become resolved, or we become resolved. The Apostle Paul knew a lot about suffering. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 6 says, In everything we do, we try to show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in jail, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. Yet we have proved ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, our sincere love, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one mature response. I mean, not too many of us have been shipwrecked. Anybody been shipwrecked out here? Anybody been stoned? Don't answer that question. With rocks. But Paul also understood that there is an end to the problems of life. 2 Corinthians 4.17, just a couple chapters earlier, he says this, These troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small. Quite small. Stoning, shipwrecks, sleepless nights, starvation. Quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. Had a great attitude about his problems and his challenges, and that's why he was able to get through them. He had a good perspective about them, that they're not indefinite. Even if they last this whole lifetime, compared to eternity, it's just a flicker. We need to have proper perspectives to overcome our problems. We need to keep in mind that no one exempt from them. We all experience them, and we must keep in mind that they don't last forever. Third perspective that we need to maintain is that every problem holds positive possibilities. We've touched on that already. There's two sides to every coin. Though problems often appear negative, troublesome, inconvenient, many, many times, as we've said, it is those very problems that lead us to a better place. When our oldest daughter, Joy, was about to enter kindergarten, my wife, Clara, talked to other parents in the neighborhood and walked down to the public elementary school to get information about the school and its teachers. And and the information that she found out led us to the problem that we didn't feel that we were able to put joy into that particular school. Clara was a stay-at-home mom with uh, our three daughters at the time. I wasn't making very much money, so private schools were not an option. 
So we were facing, for us, what seemed to be a pretty significant problem. And then through that problem, found out about homeschooling, which in 1987 was not very well known nor very popular. And for our family, that problem led us to a situation that became a very, very positive experience for us and our children. The Apostle James talks about this a lot in his letter when he encourages us to consider joy, to consider trials joyfully or with joy. Listen to how the message translation puts this. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges, problems, difficulties, come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And one of the words there that Paul is describing, if you were with me a couple years ago, is the word teleos, which is the fruit of what God is looking for us all to be, mature and complete. James is not advocating that we're to be happy and joyful about the trials and the difficulties. Oh, I'm so glad I'm going through this miserable time. Yeah, it's so cool. No, that's not, that's not what he's asking of us. His encouragement to us is to consider trials and difficulties with joy because of the outcome, not because of the pain and the challenge and the difficulty. He's not asking for that. But he's asking us to have a perspective that lifts our eyes above this circumstance and onto that. You know, people are often asked, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. What in the world are you doing under the circumstances? You're supposed to be standing on top of them. That's what Paul did, and that's what Jesus did, and that's what we need to learn to do. I really like a quote I heard once. Henry Kaiser, Problems are only opportunities in work clothes. Problems are only opportunities in work clothes. Part of overcoming our problem is to recognize that none of us are exempt, they don't last forever, and that every problem holds a positive opportunity. And then a fourth one, every problem changes us. Have you noticed that problems never leave us the way they found us? Every person is affected by the tough times and difficulties. Some of us carry scars as a result of some of the challenges. Some of those scars are emotional, some of them are physical. Every person is changed by their circumstances. The writer of the book of Proverbs says this, Proverbs 27, 12, a prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. There is going to be a change. There is going to be a challenge. There's an opportunity, but we can learn. There's uh, the same ideas echoed by a quote by Phyllis Batam. There are two ways of meeting difficulties. You alter the difficulties or you alter yourself to meet them. I kind of like that. Leads us to our fifth perspective, and that is that every problem requires a response. While many in our world would say, as Han Solo did in the Star Wars movies, it's not my fault, we are responsible for our attitudes and our responses. No one can make us grouchy. You realize that? No one makes us Grouchy. We choose to be grouchy. We might wake up feeling grouchy, but no one makes us grouchy. No one can make us say unkind things to other people. We choose to say those things. Our responses to our circumstances and problems in life are our responsibility. 
We may not be able to keep someone from cutting us off in traffic, but we're able to choose our response to them. We can hit their car, we can wave our hand at them, or we can pray for them. God, get them. No, just kidding. We may not be always able to keep from losing something significant, but we can choose to not mistreat others in our response to that loss. And when we control our reaction, listen to this, when we control our reaction to the seemingly uncontrollable problems of life, we are in fact controlling the problem's effect on us. And that's pretty cool. People we remember from history who have succeeded in life, the pilgrims, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Edison, Mother Teresa, they chose to react positively to their problems and challenges. They didn't allow their problems to overcome them. They overcame their problems. I think these words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul can be helpful. Romans 8, 35 through 37. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or that we're persecuted or hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with life? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I think that's one of the challenges is we often you know, think that, my gosh, if we're going through trouble that, you know, something's wrong with me, I'm bad, or God's after me, or, you know, something, or the devil's after You know, problems and challenges and difficulties are a part of the kingdom dynamic of this evil age that we live in. And that's a, that's a wrestling point that we all wrestle with and people struggle with. It's just this week I learned uh, about um, some family members of a friend who have made a decision to uh, no longer pursue God or religion as a result of some calamities that happened in their life. You know, we all face problems and difficulties. And how we view those problems, our perspectives, are make a huge difference in us. Charlie Brown. It always looks darkest just before it gets totally black. Charles A. Beard. When it's dark enough... You can see the stars. And then another quote. It's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. To overcome our problems, we need to make a choice and take positive action. Six, another perspective we need to have about problems is that problems do not need to be faced alone. One of the biggest lies I think that Satan tries to pull over on us is that when we're going through troubles, that God has abandoned us or worse, is doing it to us. And what I personally believe, though I'm not teaching on this, but I would make a comment, what I personally believe about suffering is that suffering is a result of the consequences of the fall and the ongoing sinfulness of human society and our own sin. God does not cause our problems. Instead, the Bible teaches he is able to work good even in the midst of the difficulties we face, Romans 8:28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. But I think the bigger issue is the feeling like we're alone or feeling like God has abandoned us. A couple of months ago, one of the members of my community group shared a verse with our group that really, really rang a bell for all of us. We were all going, hey, send that on email, would you? And it particularly came out of the message remix, which is a uh, the message translation, I guess, redone a bit. Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. You're my servant serving on my side. I've picked you. I haven't dropped you. Don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need for fear, for I am your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady and keep a firm grip on you. 
It's just profound, powerful verse. You know, this, sometimes I think of, you know, the, the, the picture I get in my own mind and heart is sort of, you know, reaching up to, to lay hold of God and to, to grab him. Sometimes my grip is slipping. You ever feel that way? Well, what this verse is saying is that God's got us. And that even though the circumstances around us might look like sheer terror, God has us, and he's not going to let us fall. It's very important in the midst of our troubles to remember to have the perspective that we're not alone. God is with us, but also he has provided other Christian brothers and sisters to walk with us through our challenges. Way too often, I think we, though, somehow accept the false spirit of martyrdom. Woe is me, I'm all alone. There's no one to help me. A friend walks up, excuse me, you seem kind of down. Do you want to talk about it? No, 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 I'm fine. Woe is me, I'm so alone. Right? False humility, false martyrdom. We need to learn to welcome God through others. You know that whole story, I can't quote it well, but the guy who's praying and asking, you know, the, the water's rising, he's drowning, he's on the top of his roof praying, you know, God come and save me and a motorcycle ride by, motorboat comes by, helicopter comes by, no, no, I'm waiting for God, you know, he drowns, gets to heaven and says, God, what'd you do? What ha- What's up, man? I was asking for you, well, I sent you a motorboat, I sent you a helicopter. God's help comes to us very often in the face and in the style and the look of another person that we know. So we need to welcome that. The Bible says it's not good to be alone. And so it is not God's heart for us to be alone even in the midst of our trials. So that's a perspective that we need to remember to learn. Way too often we're tempted, I believe, to do this as an alone thing. And then the last perspective I think that we need to have about our problems is that problems can be overcome by looking above and beyond. One of the problems many of us face with problems is that they attempt to deal with more problems at one time than they need to. Edward Everett Hale said, We should never attempt to bear more than one kind of trouble at once. Some people bear three kinds. All they have had, all they have now, and all they expect to have. It's one thing to overcome the problems we're currently facing. It's another thing to be worrying about the problems we might be facing in the future. And, of course, it's completely another thing to still be bothered and overwhelmed by problems from the past. So, I'm reminded of a story uh, told about John Wesley, the uh, famous reformer. He was walking and traveling with a friend along a road one day, and the friend was pouring out his troubles and his woes to Wesley. And they passed a stone wall uh, around a, a meadow, And there was a cow looking over the fence. And Wesley said to the man, do you know why the cow looks over the fence? The man looked very surprised. No, he responded, because, said Wesley, the cow can't look through it. And sometimes we're caught trying to look at our circumstances and we're caught looking down at them and caught by them. And what we need to do is learn to look up and learn to look over them. Way too often we're focused on the problem and we're therefore not able to see the way around or over it. The Apostle Paul said this about past issues in life. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul understood that to fully move into the future, we have to leave the past behind. Sometimes the biggest challenge to moving into the future is that we're still carrying around the stinking dead body of the past. When I was younger, I remember reading about traps that they used uh, to catch raccoons. I've referred to this as well in the past. The hunters 
in a certain era would bore a hole in a log, drive nails into it with the points aimed towards the center of the hole, the edge of the hole, and then they would place a shiny object into the bottom of the hole. And the raccoon would come along and spot the shiny object. They would reach down into the hole, grasp the object in their fist, and then be unable to retract the paws, a result of the, the nails pressing down. But the amazing thing was all they had to do to be free was let go of the thing. And many of us are clinging to things in our lives that are causing us pain and hopelessness. And those things can become our focus, the center of gravity around which all of our experiences and opportunities are measured. And we need to not do that. People hold on to their hurts rather than forgiving others in gaining healing. People are bound by long-standing problems rather than taking small steps to recovery. People are gripped by their fears rather than learning to receive and welcome God's peace. People are stopped by life's traumatic experiences rather than pressing on to new life. People are distracted by money and things rather than finding true happiness. So before we move into the future, we have to let go of the past. Ephesians 4, 22-24, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this verse teaches us that we have to put off the past. We need to have our old ways of doing things put behind us. We need to be renewed in the attitudes of our mind. We need to accept and welcome this new person that God has created. And we have to bury our past and leave it behind in the grave. And so this afternoon on New Year's Eve, my hope and my prayer is that each of us will be able to press ahead into the new year, allowing God to lead us into the future over and above our challenges, problems, and difficulties. It's said that the uh, Koreans have a New Year's custom desiring to forget unpleasant things and make a fresh start. Each person determines what bad habits they would like to eliminate and what past deeds need to be forgiven. And they write all those things onto a kite, and then they fly the kite in the air. And when it's almost out of sight, they cut the string. Here's an actual picture, if we're there, of a Korean city with that happening. And uh, as the paper bird disappears from sight, the person considers their faults and previous transgressions as removed forever. Well, while the idea of a paper bird kite is nice, as Christians, we do have more than a piece of paper onto which to apply all the past deeds needing forgiveness, whether ours or those who have committed against us. Here's what the Bible tells us in the book of Romans. Romans 3, 10 through 12. No one is good, not even one. He identifies the problem here. No one has real understanding. No one is seeking God. All have turned away from God and all have gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. That's the challenge. That's the problem that we face. Then Paul goes on to identify the consequences of that rebellion. Romans 6, 23, the first part, for the wages of sin is death. But he goes on to tell us what God did about it. In Romans 5, 8, he says, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then what is therefore made available to us, the last part of Romans 6.23, and the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then it tells us what we have to do to receive God's gift in Romans 10.8-10. It 
Salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is the message we preach, is already within easy reach. In fact, the scripture says the message is close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Two parts to what we have to do. Faith, a mental assent of our sinfulness, our need for Christ as our Savior, and action, public acknowledgement of our decision to welcome Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then finally, the Bible describes what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And many of you here this afternoon have received God's gift of salvation through faith, mental assent of your sinfulness, your need for Christ, the action that you have taken of public acknowledgement to welcome Christ. And you have been daily presenting yourselves to God, being transformed to his image rather than being conformed to this image. But some here perhaps have not taken those steps or we need to take those steps again. Let's close our head. Let's uh, bow our heads and close our eyes. I just want to give an opportunity if you have made this commitment of faith and action before but want to declare today again your commitment to these statements that you would just quietly in your own heart pray this prayer with me. And perhaps maybe for the first time you've heard this clear uh, presentation. Again, I would encourage and welcome you as well to take this step on this New Year's Eve. Just praying quietly in your own heart with me. Dear God, I've not lived my life in a way that pleases you. I have often been selfish and allowed other things to crowd you out. Would you forgive me for all my wrongdoings and the ways that I have hurt you and others? Jesus, come into my life. Put an end to all these things from my past. I offer to you my life from this day forward as a living sacrifice by faith and action to be transformed into your image rather than conformed to this world. In Jesus' name. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, when someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person inside. They're not the same anymore. A new life has begun. In your programs, you're going to find um, a paper. And on the first Sunday of each new year, or in this case, the day before the new year, because it fit and was appropriate, we're going to do an exercise, <clears throat> allowing us to do an exercise that hopefully will be helpful to you. We talked about the kite. Well, this is something parallel, but it's tied to something more than just the air. Uh, On this piece of paper, I'd like to encourage you to write down any of the problems or hurts or fears or failures that you 
uh, currently are standing before you like these piles of rocks. Maybe they're attitudes. Maybe they're actions that you want to put off, things you want to put behind you, um, things that you want to see behind you. Go ahead and write those down on here. Claire's got pens over there and paper. If anyone, if you need that, raise your hand. And then <clears throat> what we do is we invite um, you all to come to the front and to nail these to the cross. And as you do that, to just be reminded that Jesus paid the penalty for us on the cross. Fold the papers up. Sometimes people like to leave them all blatant like that. We don't like to see that. Please fold them up. Uh, there's uh, hammers and nails. We'll, I'll be down there with you to help. And then, if you would, if you would pass by the communion table, and we will have the elements available to you, the bread and uh, juice reminding us of the spilt blood and broken body of Christ. And then as well, we're going to have individuals of our ministry team over here on your left as we kind of make your way. If you would like someone to pray with you, uh, they are here to do that. Um, If you're not comfortable uh, receiving communion, you don't have to. Um, but we would encourage and welcome anyone who uh, is decided to be a follower of Christ. Uh, we have what we call open communion here. And so what you're going to do, you're going to fill out the sheet, just give yourself a few moments. You know, they might be things you wrote in here last year. You never know. But they're things that you want to, again, make declare to God, God, I give this to you. I place this on the cross before you. Whatever those things are, sins, failures, hurts, Galatians 5.24, Apostle Paul says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And so as we take these papers and nail them, we're physically, emotionally, spiritually making a statement that these things are no longer going to cling to us but are being left behind on the cross. So we're going to do that. Do we have, Joy, are we going to have the worship team come back up or are we going to use a CD? Whatever you'd like to do. Looks like Justin stood up. So as you're ready, you can make your way down the right-hand side of the auditorium and come to the cross. You can nail those things there. And then... um, Communion will be available to all of you, including the team members. And then uh, we'll have some of our folks over here to pray with you.